You're listening to a sermon from Iron City Church. For unity, for diversity, for the city, and for the glory of God. What are you excited about? What are you excited about? I'll tell you what I'm excited about. The Easter egg hunt for the kids. Coming up at... Chloe's house on Saturday. Sister Chloe, I don't know where you are, but thank you uh, for there you are. Thank you for opening up uh, your home like that. This past weekend in D.C., uh, I saw a lot of people who I literally hadn't seen for 25 years uh, from the church I grew up in. And I remember uh, that church had an Easter egg hunt, uh, and there was one special egg hid out there. There was one special egg. It was silver, and it was big, like ostrich egg big. And there was a prize for whoever found it, and not to brag. But I found it. No big deal. Uh, And I remember when I found the egg, all the kids stopped looking for eggs and just started chasing me to get this egg from me. Friends, kids love looking for stuff. Uh, But I don't think they're alone in this. Grown-ups, adults in the room, Uh, Remember that before we're adults, we're more fundamentally children. Most of us, at least, are children of God who are all looking for something. It may not be Easter eggs, but we look for protection, security, deliverance from troubles. And we're tempted to look to anything we might feel has the power to save us. Change us. Deliver us. As Christians, we know God alone ultimately has that power. But where do we find it? Where do we find the power of God? Turn to Colossians 2. Colossians chapter 2. We've been walking through Paul's handwritten letter to the church in Colossae, uh, which was an ancient city and also a small city in modern-day Turkey. And Paul was writing these Colossians to remind them that Jesus is supreme and sufficient. That's the point of Colossians in a tweet. Jesus is supreme and he is sufficient. Paul was reminding the Colossians of this so they wouldn't fall prey to false teaching. And we'll see some of the false teaching that was going on in our text today. Uh, In past weeks leading up to this text, we've seen Paul remind the Colossians how the gospel bears fruit, and so we should bear fruit. Uh, We've seen Paul remind us of who Jesus is and who we are. Uh, Friends, two weeks ago, Paul reminded us that Jesus didn't just die for the Jews, but for us too. We We were reminded that Jesus is wonderful. He is full of wonders. Therefore, that's how our passage today, Colossians 2, 6, begins. Therefore, as we read our Bibles, we want to know what the therefores are there for. Paul is saying, hey, because of all of that stuff I said before, because Jesus is the image of the invisible God and the firstborn of all creation, because you'll need to keep trusting in him, because of all that, here's the next step. Uh, Here's the implication 
for a group of Christians that was tempted to find salvation somewhere else, that was tempted to look for the power of God in something else. Friends, where do we find the power of God? That's the first of two questions we're going to answer today. Where do we find the power of God? Answer, we find it in Jesus. In Jesus. Let's turn to our passage. Uh, Colossians 2, chapter 2. We'll look at verses 6 to 12 first. Uh, If you're new to looking at a Bible, that big number 2 is the chapter. Those little numbers are the verses. And as we look at these verses, friends, I want you to look Uh, Like a kid looking for Easter eggs, look for the phrase in him in our passage. Underline it, circle it, in him. That's in Jesus. And I'm having us look for that phrase, friends, uh, because when we see repeated words in the text, that should grab our attention. So let's turn our attention to the passage now. Paul says, because of everything I just said, Colossians 2, verse 6, therefore... As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him... The whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also were you circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you are also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead." Friends, where do we find the power of God? We find it in Christ Jesus, the Lord. Of this one we have received, verse 6 says. Uh, By received, Paul means this Jesus we have trusted in, uh, believed in. I love that word receive. It reminds us that salvation is a gift. But we do have to Receive it. Kids, if your parents put a gift under the Christmas tree, you still have to open it. Brothers and sisters, we've received the Lord Jesus. And we are to walk in him, verse 6 says. That is, we're to walk in his ways according to his word. Or we're to grow more in our understanding and submission to his word. Verse 7 provides several word pictures. We're to be rooted, so we're to grow down into Christ. We're to be built up, so we're to grow up into Christ. We're to be established, beloved, in Christ. Friends, like a tree with its roots in the soil, like that blessed person in Psalm 1, like that wise man building his house on the rock, so we are to cement ourselves further into the Lord Jesus, just as we were taught about him. And what's a sign that you're doing that, that you're growing in Christ? 
Beloved, one sign that you're growing in Christ is that you're growing in gratitude to God. Did you see Paul say, we're to abound in thanksgiving. He didn't just say, be thankful. He said to be abounding in thanksgiving. Now, Paul will talk about thanksgiving a lot. You can look at chapter one, verse 12, or chapter three, verse 16. Friend, for the Christian, every day ought to be the fourth Thursday in November. We have much to give thanks for, to praise God for. I love this quote from the African church father, Augustine. He said, a Christian should be an alleluia from head to foot. Alleluia means praise God. A Christian should be an alleluia from head to foot. Christian, is that an accurate description of you? It's a good thing to talk about in your community groups, and I'll leave you with that question. Paul continues with this central call of the passage. He said, walk in Jesus, stay on the path. And so he goes on to say, don't be deceived. Don't let anyone take you off the path. Friends, last week, Pastor Dustin had a hard passage in 2 Peter 2, but it's a passage that is as loving as it is hard. In 2 Peter, God was saying, watch out for false teachers, for deceivers. And he's saying much of the same here. Friends, as I was preparing this, I was struck by how interconnected Scripture is. I always loved as a kid in school when I learned something in one class that connected with something I was learning in another class. That's called cross-curricular learning. Uh, my wife, Megan, used to be a school teacher. Uh, she taught me that term, cross-curricular. Thank you, Meg. <laughs> Friends, the Bible is a cross-curricular book. Second Peter and Colossians aren't disjointed, independent letters. They are one loving message from God to his people. In verse eight, Paul basically says, don't let anyone take you captive, a, a striking image. Don't become a slave of someone's tradition or philosophy. Uh, to be clear, I don't think Paul is condemning every philosophy, but rather he's condemning the philosophies that are out of accord with Christ of the philosophies that are influenced by demonic forces. That's what I think the elemental spirits in verse 8 means. Paul is saying, watch out for that. Friends, I know this isn't something we naturally talk about a lot, but there are demonic forces at play in this world. We don't know a lot about them, but we know we are at war with them. Beloved, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, like Ephesians 6 says, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Friends, pray for your pastor. Lately, I've been feeling like the spiritual warfare in my life is on high. Pray for me. These forces are real. Friends, these forces are at least anything that causes us to look for God, his power, his fullness in anything that isn't Jesus. But Paul reminds us in verse 9 of what we talked about a few weeks ago, that in Jesus, in him, God dwells fully. And if Jesus is fully God in every sense, then all that you need is in him. 
You you have in fact been filled in him, Paul says in verse 10. To put this on the bottom shelf, beloved, because we're united to Christ, we don't need to go looking for spiritual resources anywhere else. The false teachers to the Colossians may have very well been saying things like, hey, if you want a real spiritual fulfillment, come and eat this spiritual snack over here. But my fellow Christian, we don't need another meal. We are already feasting full on Christ. Friends, the Colossians were tempted to look to other things to fill them up. What about you? What are you tempted to look to? to satisfy you, to fill you up spiritually, that's not Jesus. It's another good question for you to talk about in your community groups. The Colossians were looking to other authorities and powers. Friend, what are you looking to for authority? Whatever it is, Paul is saying, Jesus is the authority above all authorities. We find all we need in him. Friends, what else has happened in Jesus? In him, Paul says in verse 11, we were circumcised, spiritually speaking. I want to recognize that if you're here and you're not a Christian, you may be thinking, why in the world are we talking about circumcision? I also want to recognize that if you're here and you are a Christian, you may be thinking, why in the world are we talking about circumcision? Friends, we're talking about it because the false teachers to the Colossians may have very well been saying things like, hey, you have to be circumcised if you want to be one of God's people. And indeed, under the old covenant, circumcision was a sign that marked you off as one of God's people. Brothers and sisters, isn't it true that false teaching often takes an element of the truth, but it twists it? And know this, beloved, every heretic has his Bible verse. Even Satan quotes God. Didn't we see that when we looked at the account of the fall in Genesis 3 a couple of weeks ago? Didn't y'all see Satan quote scripture verbatim? When y'all were walking through the gospel of Luke and Cam preached about Satan tempting Jesus in the wilderness. Brothers and sisters, in this example, here in Colossians of twisting the truth, the false teachers may have been taking religious requirements of the past, like circumcision from the old covenant, and they were acting as if these requirements were still in force. But But the Colossians Paul was writing to were not under the old covenant anymore. There is now a new covenant, a new promise God has made to his people. You can read about it in Jeremiah 31, Ezekiel 36, and I cite these passages to show that the new covenant isn't an arbitrary change in the rules that Paul is making up. It was God's plan from the beginning. Friends, in the new covenant, all of God's people know him. All of God's people have his law written on their hearts. In the old covenant, you could be circumcised whether or not you truly belong to God's people. So you may have looked like one of God's people on the outside, even if you weren't one of God's people on the inside. That is, you could be in the community even if your heart wasn't changed. But that's exactly 
why God's people disobey him so much in the Old Testament. Their hearts weren't actually changed. That's why in Deuteronomy 10 that Danny read for us, God says, circumcise your hearts. God was highlighting that there was something deeply wrong with us that mere external surgery could not fix. Friends, God wants more for you than mere outward acts of obedience. He is not merely interested in outward signs of obedience or religion if inwardly our hearts are still against him. Friend, God isn't interested in your actions looking good if your heart is still bad. So you can go to church. You can donate money. You can go to chapel on campus. You can go through all the motions. But if your heart has not been changed by God, you are not good with God. But Paul's saying everyone who trusts in Christ is good with God. In the new covenant, every one of God's people trusts in him because they've had open heart surgery. They've been given a new heart, a new operating system. They've been reborn. In the old covenant, you enter God's people by birth. You're born, you're given the covenant sign, circumcision, whether your heart has changed or not. So in the old covenant, you enter God's people by birth. In the new covenant, you enter the community of God's people by rebirth by being born again. And the sign you're given is baptism. Uh, This beautiful picture of being, like Paul says here, buried with Christ and raised with him. Uh, Didn't we see this picture a few weeks ago when Elena or the newlywed John Clay went down into the water, symbolizing that they have been buried with Christ. And when they came up, we said they have been raised to new life. Friends, that's what baptism pictures for all who believe in Jesus. And that's why the new covenant sign, baptism, is only given to those who believe in Jesus, who profess faith in Christ. Paul says in verse 12 that we were buried with Christ in baptism and raised with him through faith. Through faith in the powerful working of God, having been buried with him in baptism. Friends, baptism is only for those who profess faith in Christ. That's why in our church's statement of beliefs, you can find it on our website, we say, we, the members of Iron City Church, believe in baptism by immersion in water as a proclamation of faith and an experience of fellowship with Christ in his death and resurrection. So this means, beloved, that at ICC, we don't baptize infants, as infants cannot profess faith and they are not yet united to Christ. To be clear, we hope they profess faith as soon as they can. But we don't want to extend the sign of being in God's family to people who are not yet in God's family. Now, I know I've said all this and perhaps have stepped on the toes of quite a few of you, especially those of you who come from Presbyterian backgrounds, and you know what? That's me. I grew up in a PCA church 
The church I mentioned at the beginning of this sermon, the one that had the Easter egg hunt. And you know what? That church loves the gospel. That church taught me the gospel. That church preaches the gospel. The difference I've highlighted between what Baptists and Presbyterian understand is real, it's historic, but it is not ultimate. In other words, we love our paedo-Baptist friends and understand them to happily be our brothers and sisters in Christ. They, like my Presbyterian mother, are some of the godliest people we know. And some of our theological heroes, y'all have heard me say, I love Charles Spurgeon. I love Mark Dever. I love Francis Grimke, who was also a Presbyterian. But my mother is my favorite theologian and will always be. Friends, let it be clear we stand united with our Presbyterian brothers and sisters in the gospel. The General Assembly, the national gathering for a big swath of Presbyterians is in Birmingham this summer. I'm looking forward to seeing lots of Presbyterian pastors here in June. But at the end of the day, real churches have to make real decisions. Are we going to baptize babies or not? Iron City Church has decided long before I showed up that given this reading of Colossians 2 and texts like it, that we're not. We think our paedo-baptist friends are incorrect here. But we say that with the same charity we would ask our paedo-baptist friends to extend to us for all our own errors, of which I'm sure we have plenty. Okay, there is God's TED Talk about baptism. (laughs) Friends, in church, it is okay to learn theology. Uh, I will have copies of this little book on baptism. Uh, I'll be standing at the door afterward for anyone who wants to learn more. Uh, And now we're going to keep on going with this regularly scheduled sermon. Friends, we've asked the question, where do we find the power of God? We've seen the answer again and again in our passes is in Jesus, in him. And Paul goes on to basically say, if you find the power of God in Jesus, build your life then on Jesus. So let me ask you question number two, where should you build your life? Where should you build your life? Friends, the answer Paul gives is on Jesus. On Jesus. Let's look at the second half of our passage. Uh, Paul starts with another therefore in verse 16. So again, the therefore is there for our purposes to make the connection of what Paul just said. Paul says, Colossians, you don't need to go looking for spiritual fulfillment from anything or anyone else because Jesus is all you need. And in him, you were circumcised and you were buried with him and raised with him. Therefore, verse 16... Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch referring to the things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion 
an asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Friends, here Paul is saying, do not build your life on a set of rules or traditions. Again, in the old covenant, there were certain food laws given and laws given about certain festivals and days. These laws were good and they were given to mark God's people who were an ethnic group, Israel. These laws and traditions were given to mark them off from the world. We sang it earlier, you're setting us apart. And they were given to point people to a Messiah that would come. And now that he's come, God doesn't just have one people made up of one ethnicity, but one people made up of people from all ethnicities, from all nations. Beloved brothers and sisters, in this section, Paul is guarding us from legalism, from insisting, as Dustin said last week, that something else plus Jesus equals salvation. That's the arithmetic of legalism, something else plus Jesus equals salvation. So people may see things like, hey, to be really spiritual, you gotta believe in Jesus and not touch alcohol. To be really spiritual, you gotta believe in Jesus and have this mystical experience, like speaking in tongues. And Paul is having zero of it. He's like, nah, fam. Nah, that that ain't it, bro. That's not what Jesus died for. Friends, Paul is saying more properly, look at verse 18. Colossians, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism. Asceticism is severe self-discipline and avoidance from all forms of indulgence. Paul is saying, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in details about visions. Friends, in the last section of our passage, verses 6 to 12, the message was don't be deceived. In this section, the message is don't be disqualified. And I love this. Paul is being so fatherly here. He's like a dad talking to his child saying, don't don't let anyone bully you at school. And that is exactly what legalistic gospel denying teaching is, spiritual bullying. It's spiritual abuse. And Paul is saying, beloved Colossians, don't let anyone disqualify you. Don't let people tell you that you can't run the race of being a Christian if you don't lace up your shoes in this certain way. If you don't deprive yourself of that thing that God never said you had to deprive yourself of. Friends, in 1 Timothy 6, God says that he gives us everything, everything to enjoy. That's one of the woeful ironies of harsh legalistic standards. They make the Christian life miserable. But Christian, God wants you and his whole body to flourish in Christ. He wants you and his whole body to, as verse 19 says, look with me, be nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, growing with a growth that is from God. Friends, we want growth from God. And we get that as we submit to the word of God. We don't get that growth, as verse 22 says, by submitting to the precepts and the teachings 
of humans. And I think we get a, a really clear picture of the precepts and teachings of humans in the Pharisees, whom we meet in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The Pharisees often get a well-deserved bad rep. But you may not know this, the Pharisees actually started as a group of godly guys who sincerely, I believe, wanted to follow the law of God carefully. They were so careful, however, that they added extra rules so they wouldn't break God's rules. Now you can think of it like this. They would say, hey, getting drunk is a sin, right? God's made that super clear. We all agree on that here. The Pharisees would say, getting drunk is a sin, so let's make a rule that you can't even touch alcohol. Let's actually make a rule that you can't even ever enter a bar. And you know what, brothers and sisters, if one of you wants to make that rule for yourself personally, that is totally fine. You have Christian freedom to do that if that is what is helpful for you. The rub, beloved, is that the Pharisees started to elevate their extra rules to the place of God's original rules. They said, hey, getting drunk is a sin, and it's also a sin if you drink alcohol or if you go into a bar, and you can't be one of God's followers if you do that. Ah, well, now we have a problem. Now folks who are truly Christians are feeling disqualified unnecessarily. They're feeling guilt unnecessarily. After all, the Pharisees' rules may sound really holy and pious. That's what verse 23 says. Look again with me. These teachings, these precepts, these rules have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion. So friends, the, the rules look good and sound impressive. Like, look at that person. They're, they're so holy. They, they, they take themselves so seriously. Ah, but beloved, know this. The rules never changed anyone's heart. Paul goes on to say in verse 23, they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. In Greek, that word for no means none. Friends, rules might curb your behavior temporarily. That isn't always bad, but rules can't change your craving for sin. Brothers and sisters, programs like Covenant Eyes are helpful. They're useful, but they will never change fundamentally your desire for pornography. Friends, for your heart to change, you need something more than rules. You need a savior. Because the truth is, you can't change yourself. You can't just stop the indulgence, the craving of your sinful flesh. None of us can. But God be praised. He sent a savior for all of us who can't help ourselves. After all, didn't, we didn't read verses 13 to 15, did we? And did you think we skipped it? Friends, we're just saving the best for last. If you've tuned out of this sermon, now is the time to listen because this is the big silver egg we've been looking for. Look with me at Paul reminding the Colossians of the gospel of Christ's sufficient work. He says, verse 13, and you Colossians, 
And you, Iron City Church, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Christ, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Jesus. Can I get an amen this evening? Friends, in Jesus, we have the Savior we need. And we need him because there was once upon a time where our hearts weren't circumcised. They weren't changed. No, we willingly did what was evil in God's sight. We committed sins, our passage says, or trespasses. Trespasses is just an old word for sins. Earlier in my introduction, I said we're all searchers by nature, but make no mistake, we're not just searchers by nature. We are more fundamentally sinners by nature. And did you see how bad our natural state was? In verse 13, Paul said we were dead in our sins. We had no spiritual life to offer. We were without hope, without God. Friends, dead people can't resuscitate themselves. But God, Paul says, made us alive together with Christ. Friends, do you see Do you see in this passage, Paul is not saying, Colossians, here are 10 tips to better behave yourselves. Friend, that's not good news. That's not good news. Why isn't it good news? Because while the law brings knowledge of sin, it can never bring deliverance from sin. Romans 3.20 says, for by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. In other words, friends, we don't just need behavior correction. We need spiritual resurrection. And God gave it to us in Christ Jesus, only in Christ Jesus. Friends, the good news of the gospel is not that God helps those who help themselves, but that he helps those who can't help themselves. Oh, God has done more than help us, beloved. He has made us alive together with Christ, having forgiven us all our trespasses. My brother, my sister, let the deliciousness of that three-letter word all sink deep into your soul this evening. All your trespasses, the one you're holding on to that no one else in this room knows about, the one that is wreaking havoc on your conscience, Jesus died for that. Friends, all your sins, all your trespasses, every impure thought, every lustful look, every foul word, all of it, Every evil deed that put you in God's debt and stood against you, requiring payment that you couldn't afford, has been canceled, forgiven. Why? Because the record is no longer pinned to you. It was pinned to Jesus who died in your place on the cross. Friends, on that Roman tree, Jesus bore your sin. He bore the punishment for every single sin you have committed, you are committing, and you will commit. Jesus died for it all. And he was raised three days later from the grave. Friends, make no mistake, my tire heroes might have lost, but I am victorious in Christ. You, Christian, are victorious in Christ. 
That's why I love how this section ends on a note of victory. Verse 15, did you hear it? We talked about demonic powers earlier. Maybe you got scared, but there's no need to fear. Why? Because in Jesus, God disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Friends, in Jesus, God has taken away the ammunition Satan and evil forces can use against you. In Jesus, there is no condemnation left for you. There is no accusation Satan can make against you. Satan's like, hey, you're a huge sinner. And I'm like, you're right. He died for me. He's a huge lover. Friends, brothers, sisters, you are forgiven. You're free. You're God's. Beloved, build your life on God, on Jesus. Life is so sad without Jesus. Did you see this note about severity to the body in verse 23? It makes me think of those false prophets of Baal. And do you know that story in 1 Kings 18? They were harming themselves as they worshiped their false God whom they built their lives on. Friend, God asks his children to deny themselves, but never to harm themselves. Amen? Now, Notice I did say there is self-denial in the Christian life. And because we have a young congregation, I need to speak to this. Colossians 2 has made clear self-denial will not save you. Okay, we got that. But I think there's always a temptation when we talk about the dangers of legalistic living to give into the dangers of licentious living. Licentious living. That word license is at the root of licentious. You think you have license, permission, so now I can do whatever I want. It's a way of living that says, hey, God says the rules don't matter, so now I can do whatever I want and whatever I enjoy because, you know, Jesus. Friends, that's not what God is saying. The law is still good. It still teaches us how to live. But you know what? I praise God I can conclude this sermon because if you are God's, his law is written on your heart. You don't want to sin. No, you want to obey God. I'm so thankful this church, to encourage you, beloved, is filled with people who sincerely want to obey God, even if you don't do it perfectly. My brother, my sister, if you're caught in a certain sin, don't be discouraged. The fact that you want to obey God is its own victory. So keep on repenting. Keep on confessing uh, to another member in this church you trust. We need community if we're going to fight sin. But even when you fail in this fight, don't beat yourself up. Look to the one who was beaten for you, Jesus. Friend, is your conscience pierced? then look to Jesus' nail-pierced hands and rest. Build your life on him. Point yourself to him. Point others to him. And that was the mistake of so much of my evangelism early on in my young Christian life. I would often just preach rules to people to try to get them to feel guilty and turn to Jesus. But friends, guilt is not how people change, at least in any kind of lasting way. 
Parents, that's not how your kids will change. Friend, does your evangelism just sound like do better? Does your evangelism sound like the Pharisees' evangelism? Friends, one sign of false teachers and false gospels is that they don't focus much on Jesus. They focus much on your actions. But accurate, hopeful, and real evangelism doesn't center on what people do. It centers on what Christ has done. It doesn't say do better. It says Jesus has done better for you. Friends, is there anything better to build your life on than the Lord Jesus Christ? Receive him today. Let's pray. Lord, we want more of Jesus. Satisfy us this evening with your steadfast love. We pray in his name. Amen.